All right, let's go ahead and take our Bibles. We're going to turn to the book of Matthew this morning. Matthew chapter 12 is where we are going to be. Matthew chapter 12. And we're going to begin reading in verse number 28 this morning. So Matthew chapter 12 and beginning in verse number 28. Matthew chapter 12, verse number 28. Jesus is in another one of his many discussions with the Pharisees this morning. And he's being accused once again by them of being a phony, not being who he claims to be. As a matter of fact, they've actually claimed at this point that he is the devil. And so in Matthew chapter 12, verse number 28, let's go ahead and stand in reverence to God's word this morning. Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse number 28, Jesus has already denied that he is the devil and says in verse number 28, He says, but if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. Or else, how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house? He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Wherefore I say unto you, All manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. I'm going to preach a message this morning entitled, Everyone Must Choose a Side. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we do pray now that you would just be with us. Lord God, make the way clear. For those who are here this morning and those that are listening and those that are watching who do not know Christ as their personal Savior, Lord, I pray that you would cause us to make a decision this morning. I pray now that you would just be with the preaching of your word. Lord God, give it clarity, I pray. I pray for the power of your Holy Spirit now, and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated. In order to get a full understanding of our main text this morning, it's crucial that we go back to the beginning where it all began. It all starts when God created man. And the book of Genesis says that God exclaimed, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. That is the three persons of the Godhead communicating with one another after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female, I want you to notice the two genders there, created he them. And God blessed them. What a glorious thing that God created man. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that after God was done with his creation, which would include man, that God looked upon his creation and saw that it was very good. It's hard to imagine with all the things going on today that at one time the perfect God could look at the creation and say that it was very good. When we know God's standards for very good are perfect, flawless. And yet when God was finished with creation, that's exactly what it was. Perfect and flawless. And the Bible says at the end of it all, God blessed them. What a glorious time this was for man Sadly, it did not last very long, but I like to imagine what it must have been like uh, in that short time when God had open fellowship with man on a daily basis. Of course, we know then what happened. Man sinned, and then when God came to have fellowship with man, man began to do something that he's been doing ever since. Running from God, hiding from God. And of course, we know exactly what happened. 
after God created man and woman and God placed them in the perfect setting, a thief entered the garden and stole man away. As is often the case, the thief came unbeknownst to man. You know, thieves will, thieves will often come in the shroud of darkness, and we know that if you've ever had your house broken into, generally it will happen, uh, it will happen in the shroud of darkness, or it will happen at times when no one is there. Sometimes they will disguise themselves. There's been instances of people disguising themselves as, as movers and just pulling up to a house when they know that no one's going to be there. And they pull up in a moving van and they go into the house and they take everything out disguised as movers. And, and no one knows any different because the disguise is so clever. I watched a hidden camera situation one time where a guy claimed to be the owner of a car and was locked out. And he did it just to see how many good Samaritans would help him break into someone else's car. Of course, he disguised himself as the owner of the car, and he acted like he had locked himself out. And good Samaritan after good Samaritan would help this uh, this uh, apparent thief break into someone else's car because he was disguised as an owner. He lied. That's what thieves do. When we go back into the Garden of Eden, Satan came in the disguise of the most subtle of all creatures and then stole God's creation. Among the things stolen was God's crown jewel, man and woman. And since that time, man has belonged to Satan. You know, though, after that, God immediately promised mankind a redeemer. That's why we need to be redeemed, because we've been stolen. We've been kidnapped. We've been held for ransom. God promised to pay the ransom, even though we willingly went. God promised to pay the ransom. Throughout the Old Testament, God, speaking through the prophets, told us what to look for in the Redeemer. In the book of Daniel, he even tells us when to look for the Redeemer. In Micah, he tells us where the Redeemer would be born. So God gave us specifics. This is when he would be born. This is the year that he would be born. This is the place that he'd be born. Micah chapter 5, verse number 2. But thou, Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old from everlasting. And so the Messiah, the Redeemer of mankind, would come. In the New Testament, Jesus, who meets all the qualifications, the year he'd be born, the place he'd be born, my, the many wonderful works that he would be perform, the prophecies that he would fulfill, he meets all the qualifications, he enters the scene proclaiming, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. That which had been lost 4,000 years ago, back in the Garden of Eden, that which had been stolen, I've come to redeem it. In our text, once again, Jesus presents the world with proof that he is exactly who he says he is. Looking at our text in the book of Matthew and, uh, and chapter 12 here, Matthew chapter 12, Notice, uh, we can just back up, verse number 17 talks about a, uh, a um, prophecy fulfilled. The Bible says that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, look at verse number 18 of Matthew chapter 12, Behold my servant, that's the Redeemer, whom I have chosen, my beloved, and whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not strive nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. 
A bruised reed shall he not break, and smoking flax shall not, he not quench, till he send forth judgment unto victory. In other words, Jesus did not come to wage war with the Romans. He came to quietly do his job. In verse number 21, and in his name shall Gentiles trust. And aren't you glad for that this morning? Because if chances are you're a Gentile, and if you know Christ as your personal Savior, you've been saved because in his name shall the Gentiles trust. Verse number 22 says, Then was brought unto him one possessed with the devil, blind and dumb, and he healed him insomuch that the blind and the dumb both spake and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Is not this the son of David? Why are they asking this question? Because he's fulfilling all the promises. He's fulfilling all the prophecies. He's doing exactly what the Old Testament prophets said that he would do. Oh, and God promised that through Abraham, a great nation would be born. He also said in that promise that it would be through this nation, Israel, that Messiah would come. And that through this nation, Israel, the, the, the Gentiles would be blessed. When David sat upon the throne of, his, of this great nation, God promised that it would be through his family that the Messiah would come. And thus we have, is not this the son of David? Now in our text, the Messiah is come. Doing exactly what God said he would do, defeating Satan, casting out devils, calling the lost to come unto me. And now he's being accused of being Satan. Look at verse number 24 of Matthew chapter 12. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. That's just bad theology. And so Jesus goes on to explain why it's bad theology. With all the proof and with all the signs, Jesus now lays it at their feet, patiently explaining to them once again why he must be the, the Messiah, why he is the Messiah, and why all the proof points to him being the Messiah. He would even say, search the scriptures. In them you will find me. And so Jesus presents his case once again. Like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, Jesus presents them with the choice. In the portion of this invitation, that is our text, Jesus gives these Pharisees three things to think about. And I want you to think about these three things this morning. As Jesus lays out his case, and as Jesus presents his case, and now Jesus says, you must choose a side. Three things to consider this morning. The first thing Jesus says concerning their dismissal of him. He says, I want you to consider the, the consequences this morning. Number one, I want you to consider the consequences. Look at verse number 28. He says, if I cast out devils by the spirit of God then the kingdom of God is coming to you. In other words, what you say has consequences. And what is it that they said? They said, he's the devil. He's of the devil. He says, okay, I want you to think about what you're saying here. What you have said, if I am the Messiah has grave consequences. Can I say that any decision that we make for the Lord, even if it's a non-decision, has consequences? And we've got to live with those consequences. The worst part about it is we've got to die with those consequences. And we have to spend eternity with those consequences. 
It's not just a matter of, well, I'm too busy today. I'll think about it on another day. Boy, that may have grave consequences. Think about the consequences. Verse number 29. After he says the kingdom of God has come to you, he says, or else how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods except he first bind the strong man and then he will spoil his house? What is it these men are holding on to? Why are these men so adamantly opposed to God? Well, because they were self-centered. Because they liked the power that they had. And they did not want to relinquish that power to anyone, particularly a man that they thought was a carpenter's son. They wanted to hold on to the praise of man, and they knew that if they followed this man, he'd get all the praise and take it away from them. You know, that is really the reason that many people will not surrender to the Lord, because they've got so much that they want to hold on to. Jesus said of the Pharisees, in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus says, All their works they do for to be seen of men. Now, they did some great things. They did some remarkable things. They memorized scripture, but Jesus says they did it all so that they could have a plaque on the wall, a degree to their credit, a doctor before their name. Not that those are all bad things or wrong things, but he says they didn't do it for spiritual reasons or for spiritual matters. All their works they do for to be seen of men. You know, it's amazing because so many of their works would be deemed spiritual. They prayed, but Jesus said that they'd only pray in the markets where everyone could see them. They were called rabbi. They loved the uppermost rooms of the feast and the chief seats in the synagogue and greetings in the market and to be called of men, rabbi, rabbi. John the Baptist told his disciples when they came to him and said, do you, do you realize that Jesus is baptizing more than you are? That his following is, is gathering steam? And John reminded his disciples, we're not competitors. I must decrease and he must increase. That's the call of a Christian. Every day, I must decrease my opinions must decrease because if I'm going to allow God to have the throne of my life, then he's going to, I'm going to have to allow him to take charge. God did not make us robots. I have to choose to allow him to take the throne of my life. The first reaction of someone who wants to be elevated is to put down the competition. This is what Saul did to David. You go back and you read about uh, Saul and his dealings with David. David never did anything to Saul. He was just a threat to Saul because they began singing about the conquests of David. And so Saul had to discredit him immediately, make him a wanted man and make him a criminal. Discrediting Jesus, his churches, and the word of God has become a favorite pastime for a people who want to be Lord of their, of their lives. Oh, don't read that. Don't, don't read that Bible to me. Oh, you're one of those Bible thumpers. Don't you realize that the Bible is full of contradictions and yet they generally can't show you one of those contradictions. The church is full of hypocrites. <laughs> show me a place on earth that isn't. These men were rejecting the Redeemer who came to set them free. Jesus had come into the strong man's house to spoil his goods. You see, Satan is the god of this world. The prince of the power of the air. Satan's the father of mankind. 
uh, not the rightful father, but the one who has stolen us. The one who, by thievery, went into the Garden of Eden disguised as a friend and walked out with the prize. And therefore, the Bible says, wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. So death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And it started back there. When God said, this is all you have to do. All the trees in the garden thou mayest freely eat. But the tree in the midst of the garden, thou shalt not eat of it. The day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. But listen, there's millions of trees you can't eat. There's just one rule. People will often say, well, you know, why would God put that tree in there to begin with? I believe the reason is this, because God was looking for a relationship, not a robot. And if, if there was no opportunity for man to be disobedient, that's not a relationship. That's a robot. You know, the, if, if you're married this morning, you ought to be grateful. If your wife chose to marry you, because there's other men in this world. That's what makes it so special. That's why I think in this country, we are blessed beyond measure because our marriages are not arranged by our parents. My wife chose to marry me. I often have to remind people of that when they come to me and say, Preacher, she's just awful, or Preacher, he's just awful, and I just think, well, we need to end this thing. I say, wait a minute, wait a minute. No one held a gun to, to your head and, and made you marry her. No one held a gun to your head and made you marry him. That's the great thing about it. People often say, well, I wouldn't marry that person if he was the last man on earth. You might not have a choice. But in this world, we do have a choice. God gave man a choice. God placed man in the Garden of Eden, placed him in the perfect environment. He blessed him. And then he said, I love you so much. And I want you to love me. And here's how you can show me. And man was stolen. Satan is the God of this world. Scripture confirms that. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 3. If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine in them. Satan is still up to his old shenanigans. Using deceit and using blindness and using the shroud of darkness. He's blinded the minds of them which believe not. Because Satan knows if men could actually see the glorious light of the gospel... And if men could see the darkness that this world has to offer, man would choose God, so I must blind him. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 2, talking to believers, Paul says in time past, ye walked according to this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of of disobedience. That's the devil. He is the prince of the power of the air. He's the God of this world. Jesus said in another conversation he had with the Pharisees in John chapter 8, verse number 44, he said, ye are of your father, the devil. And the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there's no truth in him. Boy, our introduction to the devil is him telling a big fat lie. 
him presenting himself as alive. Jesus would go on and say when he speaks, he speaks alive and he speaks of his own. For he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Jesus came back to take that which was his. Redeem us from the God of this world. Paid the ransom for our souls. And that's what he did on the cross. He took my place. He paid the price with his blood. And that is why we're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. That's why we sing so many songs like redeemed, how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, redeemed through his infinite mercy, his child, and forever I am. You know, the significance of that phrase is because before I was redeemed and before I accepted Christ as my personal Savior, I belonged to the devil and I was headed where he is going, to the lake of fire. That's why I sing redeemed through his infinite mercy, his child and forever I am. A hymn writer by the name of Philip Bliss left an indelible mark on Christendom. He wrote such classics as wonderful words of life. The light of the world is Jesus. And one of our favorites in this church, hold the fort for I am coming. Jesus signal still wave the answer back to heaven by thy grace. We will. But perhaps one of his most meaningful songs is one he never got to sing. Many of you probably already know, I've, I've talked about him from the, behind this pulpit before. Philip and his wife were traveling by train, I think it was around Thanksgiving, to Chicago when a bridge near Ashtabula, Ohio, gave way, plunging the train into the icy river below. The 38-year-old was able to escape the wreckage through a window, but he perished when he realized his wife wasn't with him. And he went back to try to rescue her. There they both died in the wreckage of that train. Fourteen of the 160 passengers survived. Among his belongings in the train, when they were looking through the wreckage, they found a manuscript he had been working on, a text that had not yet been put to song. Someone put it to song, and we sing the song today. I will sing of my Redeemer and his wondrous love to me. On the cruel cross he suffered from the curse to set me free. I will praise my dear Redeemer, his triumphant power to tell, how the victory he giveth over sin and death and hell. Sing, O oh sing, of my Redeemer. With his blood, he purchased me. On the cross, he sealed my pardon, paid the debt, and made me free. Jesus came into this world to seek and to save that which was lost. Scripture reminds us that's all of us. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And now he stands before the Pharisees who have said, you cast out the devils by the devil himself. You are the devil. And Jesus said, I want you to think about that for a second. I want you to consider that if that's your final choice, the consequences, you've seen what I've done. Listen. There is more evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ than of any other event in history that we just take for granted. More manuscripts written about it, more witnesses, more uh, uh, stories that agree with it, an empty tomb. Think about the consequences of rejecting this Redeemer. Jesus said in verse number 
He said in verse number 28, But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. Jesus says the same thing this morning as we consider. Am I going to accept this Christ as my personal Savior? Or am I just going to walk out of here and say, it's just a big story of lies? Have you ever thought about this? What if you're wrong? Now, if I'm wrong and you're right, when we die, we die. I've really lost nothing. You know, those that live according to biblical principles live longer, live healthier, live happier. So if it's all for naught, I've just gained a good life. But what about those who reject and they're wrong, which, by the way, I have no doubt the spirit of God dwells within me. What if they're wrong? Maybe they've lost a few pleasures through sin. You know, when Eve ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the Bible says it was pleasurable. I think this is one of the things that we forget the world can offer temporary pleasure. Sin offers temporary pleasure. I'm not going to stand here uh, up here as a pastor and say that sin is, is never fun. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that bread eaten in secret is sweet. I mean, the Bible tells us about the pleasures of sin for a season. But then there's the consequences. The Bible says that when Eve looked at the fruit, it was very pleasant to look at. When she tasted the fruit, I'm sure the Bible says it was good for food, so it must have tasted good. It probably was unlike anything she'd ever tasted. You know why? Because sin is always unlike anything you've ever tasted. And for a second there, it was fun. So fun, in fact, that she had to share it with her husband and said, "Hun, you got to try this. You're just not going to believe it. That's unlike anything you've ever tried before. And they did. But then came judgment. Because here comes Jesus. Walking through the garden. And now all of a sudden, Adam and Eve realize it's not fun anymore. You know, I can remember as a kid, sometimes disobeying my parents was pretty fun. I'd let, I'd let other kids sometimes talk me into it. And then they'd say, aren't you so glad you came with us? And I'd be, yeah, man, this is just so much fun. Problem is, I had to go home. I can remember one incident in particular. I was just having a great time. Didn't even call home. Just just go. Didn't call home. And I remember that being said, aren't you glad you came? Man, I'm so glad I came. Yeah, this is so much fun. It was, unlike anything I'd ever experienced. And so was the punishment when I got home. It's appointed unto man once to die. After this, the judgment. The older I get, the more real death becomes to me. But death should, be, should always be real because death is not just an old man's occupation. As a matter of fact, I would say I've done more funerals for young people in their 20s to 40 than I have for elderly people. Death is no respecter of persons. 
think about the consequences. If I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, Jesus says, if I am who I say I am, and all the evidence points to that, the kingdom of God has come to you. Which brings us to the second thing that Jesus wants us to consider. Think about the consequences, but also consider your commitment. Where's your commitment? Look at verse number 30. He that's not with me is against me. Oh, I would never say, I consider myself an agnostic. I would never say that there is no God. I just, you know, I just don't know. Well, that's, that's the choice that you've made. That's your commitment. He that is not with me is against me. You know, this can also go to Christians who are children of the Lord, but never do anything for the Lord. He that is not with me is against me. And he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Straddling the fence is no option. Notice the word of God talks about two sides of the fence after this miracle. He that is not with me is against me. There's only two sides to the fence. You're on one side or the other. And if you're straddling, then you're on the wrong side. The one side is not this, the son of David. Look at verse number 23. All the people were amazed and said, is not this the son of David? That's the one side of the fence. The Messiah, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Savior, the Redeemer. They were active in proclaiming what they believed to be true. Hey, look at the evidence. Is not this the Messiah? They saw the evidence, they weighed it with the scripture, they'd come to a conclusion, and they were actively pursuing it and proclaiming it. The other side said this, verse number 24, This fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. There's really only two sides. There's God's side. And the devil's side. And the devil's side has many names. The devil's side has the name of atheist. The devil's side has the name of agnostic. The devil's side has the name of religion. Even so-called Christian religion. The devil's side has all kinds of names. And all kinds of isms. Communism, the devil's side. Socialism, the devil's side. All the isms, on down the road. All, anything that is anti-God or, or anti-Bible. And even those that claim to be pro-God and pro-Bible. If they're not consistent with God's Bible and God's word. Really, there's two sides. Jesus mentioned uh, here a, another group of people who, who took no stand one way or another. He says, he that is not with me is against me. So there's two sides. There's two people, two definite people. I'm against you. I'm with you. And then there's the middle of the road. Those who will make no commitment at all. He that gathereth not with me. He's on the wrong side too. He scattereth abroad. You know, those who are not zealous of the things of God are at enmity with God. You know, the church in the book of Revelation that Jesus was the, uh, was the harshest with and the one that he had the harshest words for is the church that was lukewarm. Church that just kind of straddled the fence. Kind of just went with the times. As a matter of fact, God says of that church, 
He said, I wish thou wert cold or hot. In other words, get on one side of the fence, would you? But because he says you're trying to straddle the fence and you're trying to be all things to everybody and you're trying to woo the world by your lukewarmness, he says this, you make me want to puke. I want to spew you out of my mouth, he says. It just makes me sick. Choose a side. Nowhere in God's word will you find that being a casual, non-committed, inconspicuous, blend with the world, middle-of-the-road Christian is permissible. As a matter of fact, Romans chapter 12 tells us that there's only one way to know the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. By the way, that's not three wills of God. That's, that's, that's the will of God described in three ways. When you're doing God's will, it's good. When you're doing God's will, it's acceptable. He accepts it. And when you're doing God's will, you're showing Christian maturity or perfection. That is God's perfect good will, his acceptable will, his perfect will. It's all one. And he says that there's one way to know what's good and acceptable in the perfect will of God. He says it's by being zealous. Read it, Romans chapter 12, verse number 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. That's not an apathetic Christian. That is not a worldly Christian. That is not a blend-in-the-world Christian. Certainly is not a lukewarm Christian. Present your bodies. It's a fanatic. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I'll repeat it. Nowhere in God's word will you find that being a casual, non-committed, inconspicuous, blend-with-the-world, middle-of-the-road Christian is permissible. Nor will you go to heaven if when you're presented with the gospel, you say, well, you know, I think that could be true. I'm not going to deny it. But you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior. Thus, the consequences are the same. Hey, where's your commitment? Consider. The consequences. Let me ask you this this morning. How are you going to respond to the call? You see, as the gospel is preached, I'm convinced. Matter of fact, it says it here scripturally. That people have to either accept the call of the Holy Spirit or reject the call of the Holy Spirit. So as we consider the consequences, as we consider our commitment, number three, consider the call. Consider the call. God forgives all manner of sin, the Bible say. Verse no, says, verse number 31 of Matthew chapter 12. Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. But the blasphemy of the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. You see, as the gospel is preached, there's something that happens inside every man. And that is the calling of the Holy Spirit. The conviction 
of the Holy Spirit. And every man and woman knows it. Just not everyone is willing to admit it. No matter what sin you've committed, whether big or small, the Bible says God will forgive it. How many took part in Christ's crucifixion and were converted after? Who knows? We know of one soldier who seemed to have been. Christ's own brothers had badmouthed him, made fun of him, ridiculed him, rejected him. And yet in Acts chapter 1, verse number 14, we see every single one of Jesus' brothers serving in the church, their sins forgiven. Two brothers would go on to write letters in, in the New Testament. One would become perhaps the most famous pastor in the New Testament age, in James. They were forgiven. The only sin that won't be forgiven when we stand before God is the sin of non-repentance. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to convict one of sin. John chapter 16 verses 7 through 15 describes that to us, how that he would convict men of sin. We see how the Holy Spirit works in the book of Acts. Stephen revealed to his audience it was they uh, it was the, they what what it was that they were feeling as he preached to them. He's called them ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised. That means to be both stubborn and fleshly. He says, "Ye do always resist the Holy Ghost." As your fathers did, so do ye. And the Bible describes that they were pricked to the heart. That means that they were convicted. But what did they do with that conviction? They rejected it. And the Bible says they ran upon Stephen. And they took him out and they stoned him. However, there was a man there. And perhaps others that we don't know about that continued to be convicted. One man in particular. You know, there's, there's two ways that people react to the gospel. They either react very angrily or they react with submission. I'll be honest with you, I don't mind either one of those reactions. Because I know that if someone reacts angrily to the gospel, it's because they're convicted. If they submit to the gospel, it's because they're convicted. You know the people that I'm scared about? Those who have no reaction at all. They just kind of ho-hum, whatever. Because that tells me there's a good indication that the unpardonable sin has been committed and conviction cannot happen. Say, preacher, do you know that for sure? I don't, but let's look at what the scripture says. When you don't accept Christ as your savior, you're, you're attributing the conviction to another entity. Because everyone, I believe, has conviction at one point or another. When Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, he was angry, he was fuming, he was, well, he was arresting Christians. And Jesus reveals to us why he did it. When Paul met that great light and he said, who art thou, who, who are you? And Jesus said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. In other words, Paul, you're still feeling conviction. And you're trying to deny it. And it's very difficult to do. When you don't accept Christ as your Savior, however, you're attributing that conviction to another entity. This is not the Holy Spirit. This is something else altogether. Either it's the Holy Spirit of God or the Spirit of the devil. And the Pharisees are saying, all this evidence, it's of the devil. 
The day will come when you can sit through a service, hear the word of God preached, and it won't bother you at all because the conviction will be gone. You'll not repent because you'll not have the ability to repent. Proverbs chapter 29, verse number one says, He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. I'm thankful God is merciful. I've watched people reject the gospel for decades, and God continues to convict. God is gracious. God is merciful. But I want to tell you that if we stand before God, having never repented, having never accepted the calling of the Holy Spirit, that is one sin that will not be forgiven, man. And God will have to say, depart from me, you that work iniquity. I never knew you. Hebrews chapter four, verse number seven says he limiteth a certain day saying in David today after so long a time as it is said today if ye will hear his voice harden not your hearts you hear that he limiteth the day so if you're convicted today don't pass that conviction by don't let that calling go unheeded oh the day will come maybe when you'll be able to sit through a gospel message and there'll be no conviction at all that's a scary thing that's why i prefer people either submit or get angry because i know this there's conviction and there's hope If the invitation makes you feel uncomfortable, if you still squirm in church, you dislike the preaching on sin, you still feel a prick in your heart, let me ask you this. How long will you resist the Holy Ghost? The choice is still up to you. But again, he limiteth a certain day. That's why... Today is the day of salvation. If you've not accepted Christ as your personal Savior to this point, you've not repented, you have not heeded the calling of the Holy Spirit, I would challenge you, do it today. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. With every head bowed, 